belong to Him, and when we feel like we're um, failing in that commitment, that God is able. He's able to hold on to our hearts and grow our faith. And so, let us pray as we turn to His Word. Father, as we get ready to turn to Your Word, we trust that Your Holy Spirit would be making it's a living word for us today, not just words on a page, but words that sink into our hearts, that help us to reflect deeply on our life and your calling for our life, and that you give us courage today, um, knowing that life is found in your word. It's found in you and living um, with you. And uh, that's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, near the end of your Bible. There's not too many books to the right of 1 Peter. Um, 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is going to harm you if you are eager eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We've been in the series, Share Your Faith. And two weeks ago, we talked about sharing your faith to the next generation, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your friends' children, just passing on the faith to the next generation. Last week, we talked about sharing your faith through sharing your gifts, by sharing what God has put in you, serving. And today, we are talking about sharing your faith in perhaps the way that um, comes across as most intimidating, the most intimidating way for many of us, and that is sharing your faith in the words that you say, particularly to those who are non-Christians. And this text, what I want to look at from this text, is why we should share our faith, what to share, and how to share it. Those three things, why, what, And how? Why should you share your faith? So if we look back at the beginning of this book of 1 Peter, if you flip to the very beginning, verse 1, chapter 1, here's what Peter says. 
to God's elect. He's introducing this letter he's writing. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontius and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And that word for exile is the word for stranger or sojourner. Have you ever felt like a stranger where you are? Of course you have. At least one time or another, you felt like a stranger. And, and Peter is referring to these Christians, uh, or, or writing to these Christians. And he says, I know that you feel like a stranger where you're at. You've been scattered, he writes. And you can read history books about how Jews, um, during the centuries before Jesus, they were scattered. It's called the, the dispersion um, or the diaspora. It's kind of a religious term, historical term, to talk about the scattering of Jews away from Jerusalem all throughout um, southeastern Europe and Asia Minor. And that's where Peter is sending this letter to Christians in Asia Minor and Egypt, Jews that were scattered. And many of those Jews in time became Christians. And that's who Peter is writing to. Um, and some of those people had been living in Asia Minor for years and years. So they, they weren't, it wasn't like they were freshly scattered. They may have grown up there, generations been where they are. But, but likely they're still feeling like strangers in a home that didn't quite feel like home. And one of the things that we learn as we read our Bibles is that to be a Christian, it's to feel out of place in some way. To be a Christian means to feel out of place in some way. You may not feel out of place from your actual, your your geographical location. Maybe you're like me, you've you've returned home. You're in your hometown. Or you've been in your in your location long. Maybe you've been here in the Clear Lake Bay Area long enough and it feels like home. You don't feel out of place geographically. But to be a Christian means, and you may feel that way, however. But to be a Christian means you will feel out of place culturally sometimes, like your values and the values of others around you, they're different. Uh, You could feel out of place with your vocabulary, Um, the words that you're used to saying at home with your family may not be the same vocabulary you hear your coworkers using or your, your fellow students. So your vocabulary may be different, the words that you use, how you treat others. You may feel a little out of place with how you treat others compared with how you see others are being treated, or maybe how you're being treated. And you're like, come on, golden rule. I want to be treated as, you know, you would want to be treated. Sometimes you feel out of place with how you're being treated. Uh, how you spend your time, that could be how you feel out of place. You, know, you talk to your friends, what you doing this Sunday morning? Oh, I'm going golfing. And you're like, well, I'm going to church. And you, know, you might feel out of place with how you spend your time um, with, with others around you. So Peter acknowledges to the Christians, you feel like strangers where you are. I know that. And we feel like strangers in some way. And here's the deal. God has put you where you are. A stranger in whatever location that you feel a a stranger in, God has put you there um, so that you could be a light in the darkness. That's That's the deal. So that you could be a light in the darkness. 
Um, God has put you in there where you're going to feel a little out of place, and he's wanting you to be a light in the darkness. In chapter 2, 1 Peter, look at what Peter says to these Christians. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And you may think, there are days, God, it does not feel like you've called me out of darkness, but it feels like you've put me into darkness. It seems like I'm in the darkness. It seems like I'm in the battlefield every once in a while in my neighborhood or in my office or in my school. Why share your faith? Because God has made you to be a light in the darkness. It is part of God's mission for you and for every Christian. God has called you out of spiritual darkness into his wonderful light of life with him. He's put the light of life, Jesus Christ, into you so that you can go out into locations of darkness and be a light and point people to God's goodness. Um, why share your faith? Because God has a mission for you. God has made you to be light into the darkness. What to share about your faith? Let's look at that. Verse 15. Verse 15 says, But in your hearts, this is back to chapter 3, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. That you have. So sharing your faith. It's ultimately about giving hope and sharing your hope. And everyone needs hope. And actually, everyone, because everyone needs hope, everyone has put their hope in something. They just need to put their hope in the right thing. And we are to help talk about that. How do you put your hope in the right thing? What is the reason for the hope that you have? I want you to write it down. That's what we're going to do this morning. One of the things we're going to do this morning is we're going to write down on paper reasons for the hope that you have. Um, So let's look at what Peter says about hope. At the very beginning of verse 15, he says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then he goes on to say, and be able to tell the reason for this hope. So one thing that Peter knows gives us hope is Christ. Christ should be holy in your heart, he says. Revere him in your heart. Set him apart as, as holy, as, as apart from all other things in your heart. Worship Christ. The ultimate source of our hope is that we have Jesus. He's our Savior. He's, he's our friend. He's God who has showed how much he loves us by Christ dying for us. Well, that's, that's a good reason for our hope, right? We have the Lord who has died for us. What else does Peter write about hope? So, I'm going to read a couple of verses from the beginning of 1 Peter about what he says about hope. Um, chapter 1, verse 3. In God's great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. A little bit later in that same chapter. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. So Jesus was resurrected. Let's look at these two verses. Jesus was resurrected. In other words, he received a resurrected physical body. He is coming back. Verse 13 says, he is coming back when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. And when that happens, verse 13 says, there's going to be some grace that is brought to you. Well, what is that grace? Well, that grace is your own resurrection. You will receive a new, resurrected, imperishable, physical body. It's not subject to disease or breaking down or getting older any longer. So we have this this future hope that Peter's writing about. And no matter how bad the darkness is around us, even when that physical darkness is death itself, we know that we have this resurrection coming to us. You will receive that resurrected physical body. You have everlasting life. Well, that's... That's a good reason for hope. So we have Christ, who is our hope. We have this this future resurrection that we have hope in. Is that that all that we have hope in, this kind of in the the future as Christians? Well, I want to look at another scripture about hope. And and you can see this in several other places um, in the New Testament. But I want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6 and and look at a particular verse because it reveals a couple things about hope. So this is from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. So this is the Apostle Paul that's writing. And he's writing to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, here's, here's what I want you to do in your leadership of the church. Command those who are rich in their present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So this says two things about hope. One, people can absolutely misplace their hope, put it in the wrong thing, like putting your hope in wealth or savings. What does Paul say about that kind of hope, like in wealth, in possessions? What does he write? What's in the blue word, third line? It's uncertain. It's here today, maybe. Gone tomorrow, maybe. Very uncertain your hope and wealth, or your possessions, or status, or job. Don't do that. So uncertain. Two, that verse says that God richly provides for us. Now, put your hope in God who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So when we hope in God, yes, we are hoping in the future, in this future resurrection that we receive that just outshines any of the darkness that we face now. But we also hope in today, in tomorrow, in the blessings of God that he gives for our enjoyment now, now. Now it's up to you to think through uh, what this has meant to your life, what it means to your life now. So I have two questions for you to think through this morning about your hope. The first is this. 
Um, what have you put your hope in that is so uncertain? So in your, in your note sheet, even if you don't like to take notes, that's okay if you don't like to take notes. Um, but I, I want you to turn to these two questions that I've written down. And I'd like for you to, to write something this morning, even now. What have you put your hope in that is so uncertain? You might have to think about that a little bit. And I'll talk about, in my life, um, where I have put my hope in things that are uncertain. And the second question is, how have you realized a new hope in Christ? I want you to write that down as well. I want you to be working on that. So notice these two parts. So let me talk about my life a little bit. Um, my life before, I, I, you know, I, I've, I made a profession in Jesus Christ as my Savior when I was five years old. And I, I you know, as best as I could as a five-year-old, a six-year-old, seven, growing up, I expressed my faith in Christ as best as I could. And God has been maturing that faith in me. And it wasn't until college or so before I felt like I started maturing, really. Now looking back, it's like, man, when I was in high school and early college, you know, young adult, I feel like I had an immature faith because I was misplacing my hope in something. And when I think about what I was misplacing my hope in, it was in the acceptance of my friends. Y'all know anything about hoping in the acceptance of your friends? That was me. And... And my emotional state, it rose and it fell. Remember high school. I, mean, I, I could, this is going to be a great day. I, I go in to school and, you know, by myself during that day and no one seems to care and, oh, just sunk me. Um, my hope rose and fell based on how I felt I was being accepted by my friends. And um, and putting your hope in that is so uncertain. That's an uncertain hope. When I got older, this is when I'm maturing as a college student, junior, senior, fifth year, sixth year in college uh, for me. Um, I started thinking deeply about Jesus as a friend. John chapter... 15, verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you, I've called you friends. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You're my friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Wait a minute. Jesus called his disciples his friends, and Jesus has included me in his fellowship group. Jesus doesn't think of me as just a servant, just keeping me around to do his will. You know, the ancient world, um, the ancient beliefs in the gods was, was built in this, this assumption, this belief that, that the gods made human beings to just do their bidding, to do their dirty work. The gods didn't want to do all this stuff, so let's make some people to be our servants, our slaves. Christianity comes along. It says, no, 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 no. God is your friend. Jesus wants to be your friend. Whoa. Now that's 
certain hope. And I don't have to worry about how Jesus feels about me. So that's, that's talking about the misplaced hope, the uncertain hope, and how over time, through just you know, God growing your faith, finding this new hope in Christ, Christ is my friend. When you're crafting your faith story, there's this but God moment in it. You have this unplaced hope, misplaced hope, not unplaced, misplaced hope, and then but God came in and did something, and now I have this new hope in Christ. And I want you to think through this misplaced hope in your life. What was it? What was life like living with this misplaced hope? And then the, the but God moment, but God showed me something, but God did something, or, or over time, over years and years of just kind of maturing my faith, God revealed to me this, and now I have this new hope in Christ. So my, my story of faith would be something like this. I used to live for making friends and keeping friends and being liked by my friends, and it was wearing me out, and it was wearing me out. But God started showing me something, and that is Jesus is my friend, and Jesus never abandons his friends. In fact, Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay one's life down for his friends, and that's what Jesus did for me. And you are giving reason. See what you're doing? You're giving reason for the hope that you have. But let me tell you, it, you know, when you think about it, you, there's more than one hope that you have, and it's helpful to think through what... What is, you know, let, let's talk about the varied reasons for the hope that you have. I wrote down another um, story of mine own, and it's about 150 words. You know, we think about your sharing the hope that you have. You know, if you, can, if you can write it down in about 150 words, you've got a nice little 60-second talking point that you can give to someone. And uh, here's another thing that I wrote out about my own faith journey, my, you know, putting hope in certain things and then, then having this new hope in Christ. Now, when I was a kid, my family went to church almost every Sunday. I mentioned that a couple weeks ago. We did. We went to church almost every Sunday. So having God in my life was not unusual for me. I knew God loved me because I heard it all the time. And when I was in college, two very difficult things happened to me. First of all, my family, my, my parents got divorced, from out of, just out of the blue, got divorced. Didn't see it coming. Um, and then my mom died of cancer, two very difficult things. And I experienced how hard life can be. But God, during that time, made my faith very personal. God's promise of eternal life. To all those who trust in him became very real to me. And so now I live with that great hope of the future, that resurrection that I know my mom has in part received that she's with Christ now and that I will receive this resurrected body one day in the future. I live with great hope for the future because I know that God is always with me no matter what I go through. And I know that God will one day make all the wrongs right. He'll make all the wrongs right. He's going to do it. And I will be with God, my family, my friends, and all who believe forever. And I love God for that. 
So as I shared that, it went a little bit beyond 150 words. But what I wrote down was 150 words. So I want you to think through where you tend to put your hope now. Is it in Christ? Maybe it is. Or are there some other things that are uncertain? And you're putting, you're just, there's so much resting. You're, you're giving so much of yourself to that hope. And everything just seems like everything's going to, you know, just go great or just explode and turn into a disaster based on that one hope. Boy, if that's you, make sure it's the right hope that you're, that you're giving so much of yourself to. So I want you to think about um, your misplaced hope and your hope in God. I want you to write something down this morning. During this message, junior hires, I want to release you all now because you're going to talk about this. So you're going to go with the shavers um, to your discussion group. Um, have some first-time junior hires today. You're certainly welcome to go if you'd like. They're going to take and they're going to talk about. You're going to talk about what is your misplaced hope and what is your new hope in Christ. Now, we've talked about why you should share your faith, what you should share. Now let's talk about how you should share it. There have been different studies done uh, with very differing results on people's receptiveness to hearing about Jesus Christ. The Billy Graham um, Center did a pretty large study um, a few years ago, interviewed several thousand non-Christians and um, about hearing about Jesus, hearing about Christianity, and their, their openness to that. And the results were uh, a little surprising. A little less than half of non-Christians said they think that Christianity is actually good for society. It's good for the, the community and, and, and culture. Two-thirds of non-Christians said they would be, they absolutely would be open to going to some kind of a church event. Um, so indicates an openness to hearing about Christ. On the other hand, there are studies, uh, there's, I'm thinking of one from, from uh, the UK, where people expressed um, a lot more uh, hesitancy to hearing about Christ. And so suspicion um, in Christians sharing their faith and feeling like, oh, I, just, I don't want to hear that. You know, I, people need to mind their own business. So there have been studies that have revealed kind of both sides to that. And um, I think in that, there is something very important. It tells me something very important. That is how we share our faith is vitally important. So how to share your faith. The end of verse 15 says, but do this. Share the hope that you have, the reasons for the hope that you have, with gentleness and respect. So when you share your faith, there should be no coercion, no compulsion, no manipulation, no... You don't have to feel like you're selling anything or that the success of your conversation depends on what happens next. You are simply sharing what God has done in your life. Your aim is not to win anyone to Christ. Um, your aim is not to be able to say, look, hey, it worked. Um, 
You let God bring the fruit. So a word comes to my mind when I think about this, about how we should share our faith. Share your faith with sincerity. I think that's a good word for us. When you share your faith sincerely, it means you don't have any other motive other than caring about the person that you're talking to about your faith. You're not trying to get them to accept your words. You're not trying to get them to the winning team. You're not uh, as if you need them to. That's when we start maybe getting airing on, on manipulative tactics. We, oh, I've got to get this to work. I've got to win this person ever. No, 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 no. You're just, you're just sharing what God has done in your life. Um, the last thing that someone wants to feel like is a project of yours or any Christians. Um, you know, where that person feels like, ooh, now I'm going to get a bunch of tracks, you know, Christian tracks stuck on my desk for a month <laughs> um, to try to seal the deal. You know, that uh, that's not going to work today. Um, being pushy, being manipulative will not work. And we know that. But because we have mixed messages, we receive mixed messages on people's receptiveness to Christians sharing their faith, I think it, it generally makes us averse to doing that. It, it makes us want to be silent about our faith. Because we don't want to come across as too intrusive or bothersome or pushy or just feeling silly. Um, But what we have seen, at least in that Billy Graham uh, Center study, uh, is that there are many people that are are very open and would like to hear. In fact, I want to tell you about, um, just kind of anecdotally, but um, the... uh, just the research from um, one fella. His name is Randy Kilgore. He's written a lot for Our Daily Bread. You know, that, that um, de- daily devotional for Christians. Um, he has worked as a marketplace chaplain for years and years. He's interviewed many, many, many non-Christians. And he's asked them, how do you wish your Christian coworkers?" would act like in the office? How, how do you wish your Christian coworkers would, would behave and act like? And what he has heard over and over again may surprise us a little bit. So here's what he hears. And he highlights these five things. Um, Non-Christian workers wish their Christian coworkers, one, knew more about their faith and gave fewer cliche Christian answers about stuff. But really, they're looking for Christians that have thought deeply about what they believe and why they believe it. Um, that's the first thing. Number two, that Christian coworkers had more hope in hard times. And I think as we go through hard times as, as, as students, as adults go through hard times, we're looking for people that have hope in those hard times. And we can kind of pick up on their hope. And that's what they're hoping to see from their Christian coworkers. Third thing that he hears, that uh, people wish their Christian coworkers would be more curious about the hard questions of life and could speak to those questions because they have those same questions. And they're, I want some answers. And they're looking for answers for their Christian coworkers, but they're not getting the answers. Uh, four, 
that their Christian coworkers would behave more honorably. Um, that there would be a greater connection between actions and words from the Christians. There would be more integrity in their actions and what they say. And five, that they would be more compassionate. Kind of speaks to that integrity, that that honorable action, the, the their actions of their Christian coworkers matching, coming more in line with what they claim to believe. And one thing we can take from this is people want more sincere Christian coworkers that live out what they profess to believe, who are ready to share real biblical responses to life's problems. To live out their hope in their offices, their neighborhoods, their schools. Christians should be a sweet aroma, not a punchy in the face odor, but a a welcome aroma. And all of a sudden you kind of catch it, you know, and you, ah, that, that's pleasant. It leaves you wanting more and more of it. And I want to suggest one thing you can do to help create the space for you to sincerely share about your hope and, and your, your space where you've spent a significant amount of time with others. And it's this. Sharing your faith begins with listening to others. If you can just listen, just listen to their stories. Listen to what others are going through. Uh, when you're having lunch with them, listen to, you know, what, what's, what are they worried about? Um, listen for how they have sick family members. Listen for how they're feeling deflated or worried. Um, you know, there's plenty of that talk today. Plenty of the, you know, the, you know, the the un, uncertain times that people have experienced over the last year and a half, and talking about that, dealing with sickness and COVID fears and. You're listening for that, and you're listening for where they want to have hope, where they're looking for for hope. And then you're looking for places where that intersects with where you have hope. And then you're able to just offer that up. Um, I've been there. I've I've been there where, where you're at, and I'd love to show you share with you this hope that I have. And, and here's, here's what God has done in my life. And, and that's all you're doing. You're not trying to sell it. You're just saying it. Often people won't use the word hope in their stories. They'll just tell you about a problem. So you're listening to these problems and you're, you're thinking, so what hope are they really looking for in that problem? And then you think about how does my hope that I have intersect with that? And just giving hope in the office place because they're wanting that. So I'm going to close with something for you to think about. Um, how is your witness? Your witness is your works plus your words. It's not just your works. Your works are important. Are your works such that people see hope in you? Your works is the sincerity that you show. Your works is the compassion that you demonstrate. And that in your works, in some ways, earn your right to be heard. 
but your words are important as well. It's not just works. Your witness also is your words. And your words are what point people to hope in Jesus Christ, the source of all hope. I encourage you to spend time today thinking about those two questions. Where have you put your hope um, in this misplaced place? You know, where is it misplaced in your life? And have you realized a new hope in Christ? Think about that. Share it with your family. Bring it before the Lord. Write down something. 150 words that you can share with someone. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can have hope that uh, we don't have to wonder about how the future is going to go. We know the future is going to your future, and your future is all rights being made true in this world and um, made real for us. And um, your goodness, the resurrection, power uh, flooding this world, that's where your future is. We give you thanks. Pray that you would Help us to live out that hope in our actions and love and concern for others. Uh, Help us to listen well to others, not feeling so rushed by the work that we have because we know that you have other work for us than just the work that's being done, and that is your work of uh, using us to be a light in the darkness. And thank you how Jesus has brought light into our darkness that... Uh, he died on the cross for us that, so that we could know about his undying love, that he has shown us great mercy when we needed it, when we were dead in our sins and Jesus came to forgive our sins. We give you thanks. We want to worship you now. We want to ask for your blessings as we get ready to enjoy the Lord's Supper together. Um, prepare our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us now as we prepare to uh, have communion, thinking about the mercy of God and the fact that Jesus gave his life on the mercy tree for each one of us. On a hill called Calvary stands an broken weary souls find your rest and be made whole stripes of blood that stain its rain shed to wash away our shame from the scars pure love Salvation by the mercy tree. In the sky between two thieves hung the blameless prince of peace. Bruised and battered, scarred and scorned, sacred head pierced by our thorns. Yeah.
share this communion meal. Remember that this is the Lord's table. This is the Lord's meal that he's sharing. This isn't Hope Church's meal. You don't have to be a member here um, at Hope. If you're here, but you profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you're welcome to come and eat and drink, to be renewed, to be refreshed in your hope, knowing that Jesus Christ came and died for you. There is nothing that you can face without facing it with the power of the risen Savior inside of you. That's hope. That's hope. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that as we eat and drink, that we are participating in this meal that has been going on for thousands of years. That you have been faithful 
through it all. That our beliefs today, they're not something uh, that's a new thing, but rather you've been calling people of faith into your family for throughout the ages. And you've been faithful throughout the ages to your people. We can know that you will be faithful because you've proven yourself throughout all of time. You are good and you are holy and you are loving and you are generous and you're faithful. And you gave us our Savior Jesus Christ who was willing to suffer to be tortured, to be beaten and bruised, to die a shameful death so that we would know that you accept us, that there's nothing, (laughs) there's, there's no ends to your love, that you will go to all ends to show us your great love for us. As we eat and drink, Lord, will that be true to our hearts, where your Holy Spirit tell us again how deeply you love us, how much we are your friends, that you think of us as your friends as we share this communion meal today. Help us to lay down our sins. Help us to repent of them, to have the courage to do that, knowing that you give us the power to live obediently and, and in repentance to this new life that you have for us into your marvelous light, being freed from the darkness, and that you then call us to go out and to to shine that light. We pray that you'd be working in our hearts today to help us to do that. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior, our friend, our Redeemer. You've forgiven us all of our sins. And we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.